what we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome in to episode 65 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Statman. As always, I am joined by my good friends, Angelo and Glisa. And it's just Angelo this week. You know, we've been kind of, you know, going back and forth. We haven't had the whole game together back very many times the last few weeks. Hopefully next week we will. But right now it's just me and Angelo. It's just going to make the as, pop next week that much better. As we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, boy, when Jake isn't here, he misses out on the good shit. He really does. Because we are watching NXT TakeOver Phoenix from January of 2019. A really, really good show with a lot of good wrestling, a lot of good guys a lot of guys that have not been on the show before. And I had a good time watching it. Uh, it's a throwback to a now bygone era of NXT, as we're now a few weeks into NXT 2.0. And, you know, uh, it was a fun show. It was a lot of good wrestling. And we haven't had too many of these NXT shows. So I was very happy to see that pop up. So... Really looking forward to talking about this one. What's going on, Angelo? Just getting over a little cold I got this weekend, so uh, voice is a little bit better now. Still got a little bit of a cough, so be on the lookout for that. But yeah, this was a super fun show. This is like the tail end of like the NXT era that we all remember fondly that was like this golden child somehow hidden in this WWE programming full of bad booking and brain-scratching decisions. And this little slice of heaven existed. This is the tail end of it, so it is uh, getting to its final resting place. But it still very much slaps. It's so good. You got a lot of old guy, like guys that made it really fun. A lot of guys that I still mark out for to this day. Uh, but, you know, I will say this for uh, WWE. They recognized that it was getting stale, besides the fact that they got their ass beat by AEW. And they took a risk on NXT 2.0, I think, because, like, you saw the initial branding and you're just like, what are they doing? This is yeah. just so stupid. Like, did a nine-year-old draw this, uh, <laughs> this draw. logo right here. And then you start tuning in and you realize what they're doing and they're like, it's actually going back to de facto developmental, like you've, you've said. And yeah. It, it makes sense because that was always a disconnect and it makes a lot of sense watching this why you have so many guys a lot of people on this card get called up and it makes a lot of sense to see a guy like Riddle who's having success now on like main programming whereas a guy like Alistair Black struggled like I can very clearly see why this happens because of the way that WWE books on their main shows and yeah. like how they want their wrestlers to be on the main shows not to take anything away from a guy like Alistair Black or Matt Riddle but based on their characters, that's what kind of messes it up. And that's why I'm so happy to see all these crazy characters that they have on 2.0. Tony D'Angelo is going to be a world champion one day. Mark my words. Yes, Tony D'Angelo is main eventing WrestleMania within the next five years. The Gabagool army is going to I will over put wrestling. my life savings on it. Tony D'Angelo, Braun Breaker, Universal title, WrestleMania... I don't even know what number we're on. We'll call it 40. Listen, I don't know if we have any listeners in Florida that would go to any of these NXT events, but because they don't do full sale anymore. I guess they're just at the Performance Center or whatever. But please, 
can we get the Gabagool chants starting for uh, Tony D'Angelo? Can we make that a thing? Can we get the fans to chant Gabagool when Tony D'Angelo is out there? It's great. They I already have the command. They I just the... watched Many Saints of Newark, so I'm in the mood. <laughs> they already have him doing the uh, hand c- come on uh, with like uh, your very pointed, uh, the typical Italian uh, talking with your hands gesture going for him. So I'm very excited for what this is going to be. As we have discussed, and has been as extensively documented in uh, sports and in culture, uh, the Italians are the last ethnicity that we are allowed as a people to. Uh, you know, we were allowed to appropriate their culture. Um, so, like, I, I was just thinking, like, it would be fun. I don't, I don't really know Tony D'Angelo's background. I think it would be funny if he was actually a guy named, like, Tom Johnson. If he's, like, 100% like Scots-Irish or something. No, his real name, I looked this up, uh, is uh, Joe Ariola. Oh, Ariola, Nice. That's cool. So I think he definitely has some Italian roots. So he could be, I mean, he could be Mexican, I guess, with that name. I Possible. Know. I mean, Hispanic, definitely a potential. Because, again, it's really hard to dis- distinguish between Hispanic names and Italian names because they're all kind of yeah. that romantic gist. But, you know, he's got the vowels in there, so that's a good sign. Okay. He needs, I mean. It, it's he, not he like uh, the, Boris Stroganovsky. He has the requisite number of uh, vowels in his name. So I, that's nice. As a vowel guy, I approve. But yeah, you know, we were talking about this earlier and, you know, talking about the difference of this NXT to the NXT now um, and, and even NXT a few years before. This is an interesting time period because this is like the last kind of gasp for what NXT really was before as like one of the like it's kind of like the destination for wrestling in the United States almost. I mean. For a number of years, and this is pre-AEW, we're still a few months away from, you know, All In had happened by this point, and I think AEW, the company, had been announced as this is going to exist, but, you know, Double or Nothing hadn't happened yet, like, they still hadn't really started going yet and booking shows or anything, and up until that point, uh, you know, this is also kind of, you know, Ring of Honor had cooled off, but for a number of years, like, kind of the destination for Unite, like, for, if you wanted to watch good pro wrestling in the United States, you had to watch NXT or you had to watch Ring of Honor. And NXT was, you know, like, the best takeover shows were like, these are the best sh- wrestling shows that you will get in the United States. Like, there's just nowhere else for this, almost. They would outshine the WWE pay-per-view that they would be ahead of. Every yes, time. Every single time, TakeOver would blow the main roster pay-per-view out of the water. And, like, a TakeOver night felt like the biggest night for wrestling, if you were, like, just really into good wrestling. And, you know, this is kind of, like, the tail end of that era, where you're because then NXT or AEW shows up, and they kind of do everything that NXT does except better and they have better stars and you know it feels bigger because they're wrestling in these bigger arenas in front of bigger louder crowds they're not wrestling in this little you know 400 or like 400 seat little building in a like a community college and you know it just feels bigger and better this is like one of the last takeovers pre-AEW and it took them a couple of years to realize that like we're outgunned in this completely. Mm-hmm. 
And now we need to completely shift gears and go back more to... Because NXT 2.0, as we were talking about before we went on air, is very much more akin to, like, 2014, 15, 16 NXT, what it originally was, where you had, you know, back then, you would have the Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, guys like Kenta, Chris Hero on there, uh, guys who were really great veteran wrestlers uh, to kind of carry a lot of the water, but the rest of it was developmental, and it was a bunch of dudes that you had never seen before showing up and trying out new characters and trying out new shit. And you didn't, you know, sometimes it would be good and sometimes it would be bad. But, you know, seeing that development play out was one of the gratifying and rewarding parts of watching. it. it it's a built-in storyline to follow, too. Like, even if the story that the guys are in is, we'll say, dog meat. At the very least, you're invested in their career trajectory. Like, I don't know what they're going to do with Tony D'Angelo. I can already tell you, though, right now, I'm going to be invested in seeing, like, how his career progresses and how he gets better, both on the mic and in the ring. Yeah. Uh, and when we think about – so I didn't watch NXT while I was developmental. I got in – like, literally when I started watching wrestling again, NXT was at its peak. And like we've mentioned, ad nauseum, I'm probably going to say it again, this is the tail end of that peak. And I kind of think about, well – what are some of the things that made NXT so great besides the fact that you had these experimental guys? Because this was definitely the time of where it was like the big indie, the like oversized yeah. indie. It was, it was basically it was PWG, but it was WWE. It was the Undisputed Era being a constant force throughout the card. Like, and they're always entertaining. They cut great promos. They had great interactions. You had the Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano storyline that went on for years. That had great rivalries and fantastic matches. Uh, Alistair Black, just a really cool dude. They had the, before he got canceled, Velveteen Dream, who was like one of the considered like the best kept secret. Now, you know, probably just best kept out of any kind of headlines. Yeah. If you had asked anybody in 2018, 2019, like what's going to end up with Velveteen Dream? Everyone would have said like WrestleMania main event. World champion. You had Shayna Baszler. Uh, just on a hell of a run as the women's champion and just someone that looked like an absolute badass. So you have all these guys there. And then as those guys kind of graduate and get called up to the main roster, some of them succeed. Some of them fail. Some of them are still in NXT for better. Uh, I don't even think it's for worse. It's it, absolutely for better. Uh, you kind of lose some of that character. Undisputed Era broke up. Baszler wasn't there anymore. And Io Shirai was great, but... I don't know. I just I'm not a big Gonzalez person. I just can't get into that title run that much. Yeah. Uh, they and they added uh, the North American title was cool back then, but oh, got quickly overlooked. They added the women's tag title. So like, there's a lot of inflation now with what NXT became, and it always felt like they were desperate and trying to come up with something to, in response to AEW instead of just trying to be themselves, which is what like. What made NXT great was like, even yeah. though it was super indies, they never were not NXT. Desperation is really the right word for it, too, because right around now, uh, in this time period where we are at the beginning of 2019, when AEW starts to exist and they start signing up a lot of really good talent, it seemed like, you know, WWE entered that mold or that mode of like, we need to sign everybody. We need to and kill to this get, promotion. We need to sign everybody um, to, you know, so AEW can't get them. And I remember they, they started signing guys like, you know, that you would think would be like years away. Like, you know, usually like 
guys would emerge on the indie scene and have like a good run and kind of develop and turn into you know hot guys in the indie scene and then they would show up in ring of honor or new japan or they would do some stuff like that um and then wwe would get them after they had become established a little bit like matt riddle and keith lee and guys like that had already kind of been way more established by the time that wwe got them then they started like it seemed like anytime someone started to create like the inklings of a buzz on the indies or outside of you know a, a, a big promotion, WWE would try and snatch them up. Like as Alex Zane and Alex Zane and Blake Christian. Exactly. Because I remember I remember you sharing that match they had where it's just insane yeah. flippy shit, and it was like this grainy Twitter video where the entire match is pretty much on Twitter. And you know I watch it; it's entertaining. It's insane. Breaks your mind. And then three months later, WWE signs. I'm like, I mean, I yeah. get they were good, but I mean, that was very quick signing. Yeah. I mean, and they would sign. I mean, I remember when they signed Bronson Reed, who was wrestling uh, Jonah Rock. He was in PWG. I was like, damn, that was quick. And then they started signing guys even quicker than that. Yeah, like Alex Zane and Blake Christian. It was like they had just started, like just started to build up like a real rep. And then WWE goes and grabs them. And it's like, normally they would wait like another year or two before this happened. But AEW existing really scared the shit out of them. So um, they were like, you know, we have to do this. And along the way, it turned from, you know, a developmental territory where you have some veterans who are great. You know, the Samoa Joes and those types of guys that pass through. Um, who you know are way too good to be in developmental, but they're not there to develop. Um, and it they turned it into just PWG2. And it kind of, you know, and, and then later this year when Dynamite starts up and then, oh shit, Dynamite's ratings are actually way better than they thought they would be, then it starts to get really desperate. Mm -hmm. It's In terms of the booking, in terms of you know, how quick they're signing guys. And then it's like, it just felt like the the soul of the show was kind of stripped away. And it was, I mean, it was still good. You know, it's oh, yeah. so much better of a wrestling show than you would get. It's still a hell of a lot better than the main roster. The characters are better. Specifically the characters are way better. Yeah. But it's not what it was. Um, and it took them a while to realize maybe we just need to do something completely different. But this is, you know, getting back to the show we're talking about tonight. <laughs> it's, it's just an interesting time period because this is where the transition is really happening before our eyes around here. Right after this, you would have several of the, uh, the main people on the show, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Aleister Black, and Ricochet will all get called up to the main roster. And... Um, Champa and Gargano will actually be returned in very short order to NXT, but it you start to see it really become that super indie. You know what I mean? Like you look at the uh, the card here, and almost nobody on this show is really developmental. You go through the list of, you know, we have five matches on this show. And, you know, to go through them, um, first match, War Raiders were established for years as a, a well-known tag team. Ring of Honor, New Japan. Same with 
Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong had been, you know, stars for years on the indies and in Ring of Honor. Uh, you know, Chris, Chris Hero, Cassius Ono, had been around for 15, 20 years. You know, Matt Riddle had, hadn't been around that long, but was an established, like, act when he got to WWE and really didn't get changed that much. Same with Johnny Gar- Gargano was established before he came to WWE. Same with Champa. Same with Ricochet. Same with Aleister Black. The only real exceptions on the show, the only two people who you could say were kind of developmental were Bianca Belair, who is, you know, a true developmental wrestler and never wrestled anywhere before she signed with WWE, and Shayna Baszler, who had some experience, but not like a shitload. But that's almost every single male wrestler on the card was already a well-established act, you know, not really needing developmental before they got to NXT. And these are all the people on the show. So... And you kind of look at the guys, too, and this is kind of why I was talking about when you see the guys and how they translate to the main roster. War Raiders, I mentioned this in my notes before their match. I think war is just kind of like a word that WWE will try to avoid outside of context of like, oh, they're going to war in a match. I don't think they want anyone associated with war in general, which is why they got the stupid name rebrand. Uh but you can make sense of like, okay, they're Viking tag, they're a Viking tag team. That's kind of what leads to the comedy bits on shows and why that they still fe- frequently make TV when, when they're healthy. Uh, Riddle, Stoner Bro Dude, and the guy is just insanely over because he's a goofball. It's, yeah. it's, it's funny. Alistair Black was a very serious, Black and Baszler, because both of them fell victim to this, very serious characters who were just pretty much ass kickers. There's not much to their character in the fact that they kick ass. They're just cool. That's all it is. So when they get to the main roster and you're having them cut these weird promos with Black in a closet and Baszler doing this kind of dosy do with Jax, which was actually pretty entertaining. So we'll see how that works out for her. But you could see why they're struggling. Baszler gets rolled up constantly. That's kind of like the joke with her. And then Belair, like she's just got so much attitude, so much potential. She is truly just like a specimen. And you can see why not only did they get her through like the Bailey gave her the Bailey rub when they were doing that like uh, competition between the two of them, but then also pushing her to the moon when she won the Rumble. Like it's just not surprising because she's just so insanely gifted. Ricochet, guy who does cool flippy stuff, not really a promo guy. And uh, yeah, now he's just jobbing out because he sells like a million bucks. It it, it was really easy watching the show realizing, oh, yeah, they're really cool here. But I also understand completely why they fail to translate at the next level. Yeah. And I think at a certain point, NXT started to, like, you know, like, the way people start, like, within the previous couple of years, you started to really realize that, like, all of these guys, like, 100% rate, almost, of these guys, when they get called up to NXT, or when they get called, when they get called to the main roster from NXT, it's not going to go well because they can't book anybody. And all of these guys are going to get basically fucking ruined. So like you would watch it and you would enjoy it, but there was always like a sense of dread of like, what the fuck is going to happen to Ricochet? Like Ricochet's so great in this, in this show and in his map, he's amazing. And it's, but there's like that, there's that, uh, that fear of like, well, he's a smaller guy and he's not a great talker. So, you know, he's going to get 
boned on the main roster. And guess what? He kind of got boned on the main roster. But there's like no reason why it can't be like a Rey Mysterio type. Like Rey no. was never necessarily the best promo. Like he was good. He was emotion. Like he talked with emotion. But as far as like meaningful promos, there was never really a Rey promo that stands out uh, that didn't relate back to Eddie Guerrero. Yes. Uh, so like there's no reason why he can't be like that ultimate underdog. I, I, which again makes yeah. no sense. Uh, and the one guy I can't believe that didn't translate whatsoever to the main roster because it seemed like he had a main roster act. He was like main roster sized and just like had a great mouthpiece too. And like we're seeing him now in AEW, he's like he's able to cut like an efficient promo that makes sense for him. Is Andrade? Like how the hell do you mess that up? The dude looks like a million bucks. He's Engage to one of your top female talents uh, in Charlotte. Uh, Ric Flair loves him. Ric Flair is giving him the rub in like indie shows now. It's like Ric Flair and Andrade are boys. <laughs> it's friends. Ric Flair's all. Ric Flair and Andrade are hanging out all the fucking time, man. It's like how do you mess this up? He could like literally. You have it right in front of you, and you just butchered him. And yeah. that's like that's really where the NXT dread came from is just like if they couldn't make use of andrade who are they gonna make use of yeah i mean it was really bad with ricochet too i mean like really out of all these guys that have made it up to the main roster the one i mean they, they've done well with bianca although you know people were not happy about the way she uh jobbed out recently to uh, becky lynch that was not great no uh not great at all uh but was doing good up until then and uh riddle's been fine uh, Rill's been more Outside than fine. Of, He's the best you know, part of certain, Raw. Certain, uh, you know, uh, a, a, you know, allegations that may have surfaced against him over the last couple of years, but you know, uh, he's yeah, he's he's done perfectly well for himself. He's like one of the most over guys on Raw. But yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things with like Andrade. I mean, Andrade's not even on the show, but I just feel like you know we're, we are kind of you know we haven't gotten to the matches yet, but like <laughs> if there's a lot to talk about with NXT. Like this is just. We are living history in real life right now, and it's just WWE has that weird thing about like if you have someone who is from a foreign country and they're not great at speaking English, like instead of cutting like a really good sounding promo in their native language, they have to cut like extremely broken English promo, and it's like look at Pentagon Junior, you know Pen Pencil Ceramiedo, like he doesn't really speak English, and yet he sp he like cuts these great promos in Spanish that, like, you feel the energy, even though I don't no idea what the fuck he's saying. And it's like, this is a great promo. I don't know a single word he said, but that's a great freaking promo. And then, like, you have the enthusiastic translator. And that works so freaking well. And it's like, why? I don't need to hear Andrade, like, you know, he, he doesn't, he's, you know, he's not a native English speaker. And obviously he's not really, like, he speaks English. But, like, speaks better English than I speak Spanish, but, like, he's not going to be super comfortable, like, cutting a whole promo in English. So why don't you – why does he have to? I don't even think – even, like, even if he – like, even if you just parse it back a little bit and just let him use whatever uh, English he does know, I think that works for his character too. Like, the guy is just like this – I'm going to compare him to Del Rio, but he's like a cooler version of Alberto Del Rio. He's less corny. He, I'm talking about the wrestler, not the person outside wrestling. Yeah. Outside wrestling, is, outside wrestling, Del Rio is a little problematic. 
he is definitely doing like kind of the uh, especially in AEW, he's doing like kind of the rich, fancy the like, Mexican aristocrat, Mexican aristocrat type of character. Or he's driving around, he has fancy cars and fancy suits and whatnot. But him, like, but he's a more non, like, he's not as upfront about it. Like, Del Rio was very much in your face, I'm a rich, wealthy dude. Andrade's just like, it very, again, it makes sense because he, like, worked a lot with him in Los Angeles Bernabales. Uh, Naito, like, just that laid back, casual, yes. I'm here, I'm cool, I'm good, I'm talented, and I can kind of do whatever I want. And part of that is just like, I never felt the need to learn English beyond these few words because I can get it done whether or not I speak your language. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, people forget. I mean, Naito was basically like was a very not over guy before he ended up with Andrade and basically like became like a, a Japanese Andrade and then got crazy over. Uh, yeah. Uh, man, that had nothing to do with the show. <laughs> the show that we watched. Because Andrade's not on the show at all. But a lot of the guys who were there in, uh, a, uh, in NXT at the same time as Andrade were on the show. So it, it's taken us a little while to get there. But is it time to remember some guys? I mean, we just remembered an era. Let's remember the guys of the era. Let's remember some of the specific men and women of this era. So NXT TakeOver Phoenix, it is January 26, 2019. We are at the Talking Stick Resort Arena in Phoenix, Arizona, home of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, we have a crowd of 9,700 people in the building for uh, NXT TakeOver Phoenix. Again, this is you know, the tail end of NXT's real reign in this sphere of wrestling in the United States, back when these takeovers felt huge. They felt like the biggest show. And, you know, takeovers don't feel this way anymore. Uh, it's kind of been supplanted by, like, AEW pay-per-views where you would have this feeling. But, you know, these these shows felt so big every time. Um, and the old, like, oh, you know, the black and gold brand, the old aesthetic. We have a... This is a booth that I forgot about completely that they ever... This this uh, this combination of guys ever existed. Mario Ronaldo, Nigel McGuinness, and Percy Watson on the call. I actually like this booth. I liked it then, and I still like it now. Um, they are on the call, and uh, they, <laughs> I like the way they began the show, because you know they do the cut over to the Spanish announce uh, team, and they're talking to, and then all of a sudden, like, the the you know, the War Raider horn sounds, and then the Spanish <laughs> announcers all are like, oh my god, what's going on? What's, what's the horn mean? <laughs> They're like, dude, you know the War Raiders are wrestling tonight. I think it's the War Raiders, guys. Come on. Why are you scared right now? I think you have the card in front of you. But it is a tag team title match to lead off. It is the War Raider. It is the Viking experience. Eric and <laughs> Ivar uh, taking on uh, the Undisputed Era, the champions at the time, the UE Combination. Kyle Riley and Roderick Strong. He's the yeah. They have the whole you know the War Raiders, still known as Hanson and Rowe. Uh, they come out and they have the big entrance with the Vikings walking out and with the spears and the shields and they're all being there being Vikings. And then the War Raiders walk out. Um, and this is, 
I mean, you lead off with this isn't the best match on the show, but it is like as good of a tag match as you're gonna find anywhere. Uh, I think it, I think it's great. Um, and so much of this match is the War Raiders just looking like fucking monsters. Oh my god! Like they make these guys look like the killers of all killers in this match. Um, Hanson, who is you know, so much of War Raiders' offense is just, you know, we have this gigantic fucking monster, Hanson, who's like 300 pounds, and, like, we're gonna have the other guy pick him up and just throw him around at people, and he's gonna do flips and shit. It's amazing. I mean, they're, you know, War Raiders, so cool. Um, this match starts out very fast, uh... Roe using Hanson as a weapon every turn again, and making the War Raiders look like monsters. Uh, but at you know at every point in the match, you never feel like the Undisputed Era can't win it because they are so in sync. They're such a good tag team, and both these guys are such fantastic workers that you always feel like those guys can win the match. It's great. Uh, Roddy hits a bunch of cool backbreakers. They do some creative cheating. Um, Roe works his way back into the match Gets the hot tag to Hanson um, He does the cartwheel Into the lariat that's a, you know, Always gets a really big pop um, And then it breaks down Into all four guys just hitting a bunch of Moves on each other They hit the big pop up power slam on Kyle O'Reilly Hanson hits a dive To the outside Then a huge diving splash But then Roddy breaks up the pin And uh, they do a superplex diving knee combination on Hanson, but Hanson kicks out of that. That was a, one of the big kicks out. Uh, one of the big kickouts, um, and then uh, you know the the undisputed era guys they hit Hanson with every single move that they have, and then they uh, hit uh, uh, Roddy hits him with an Olympic slam. Hanson kicks out of that. They hit him with the high-low, the old total elimination move that they use as a finisher. Hanson kicked out of that. I believe he was the first man in NXT to kick out of the high-low from the Undisputed Era uh, right there. And then uh, they go for another high-low. Hanson cartwheels out of the way of the move, hits his big handspring double back elbow. Uh, Roe then does a powerbomb, power slam combination on both guys at the same time which was awesome. And then Hanson goes up to the top rope. They hit their uh, finishing move, the fallout on, I believe it was Roddy. And the War Raiders get the pin and win the match and the tag team titles in 16 minutes and 57 seconds of just a very entertaining match from the start to finish. I'm going to say this three more times on the podcast, but if you haven't watched this match before, Please go watch it. It kicks ass. It's so good. I mean, the War Raiders are just a fun tag team. And even though they are kind of doing the comedy bit now, they they have the chops to do it. And then you watch them in the ring. You're like, oh, crap. I forgot. These guys can go. Like, yeah. I, I will say this. I think Eric is a better uh, – I, I called them by their WWE names, not – uh, Hanson and Roe because I keep getting confused and all going back and forth. Anyway, Roe I think is the better worker. But, like, Hanson as a tag team guy is just 
unparalleled. Like for a hot tag, for an insane spot, for his just insane agility for a big man. Like that handspring back elbow. Even if you just watch that clip, you're just gonna your mind will break just watching him do that. Uh, he also takes a huge, huge suicide dive bump that doesn't hit anyone. He lands solid on the hip and just looks absolutely brutal. Big fan of the row thrust kick too. I, it's just. They're such a fun tag team. And then on the other side, O'Reilly is an underrated worker for, like, his style. Uh, Roger Strong is deceptively strong. Like, his ability to just put people up and do, like, a million different backbreakers is genuinely one of the most impressive things I've seen in a wrestling match. I have felt this way for years. Roderick Strong is one of the best wrestlers alive. I, pound for so pound. fucking good Insane. at wrestling. And it, it's absurd. It's absurd how good he is. And then, like, the big superplex on uh, Hanson, just brutal looking. And then the guillotine leg drop suplex is just the fallout. Yes. Like, everything just looks so impressive in this match. And it's a really fun time. It's it's 16 straight minutes of excitement. And it tells a good story, too. It says, hey, O'Reilly and Strong, fantastic team chemistry. Can the War Raiders, who are just, you know, physical specimens, match that tag team chemistry, and that's what happens. I will never forget, in 2016, I think it was, uh, watching War Raiders, when they were still called War Machine, their debut in New Japan, they came over through Ring of Honor, and they were in the World Tag League, I believe it was. And they showed up, and their first match was in Corican Hall, the first night of the tournament, and... When they showed up, the crowd did not know who they were. Five minutes later, they were crazy fucking over. <laughs> like, they were the most over team in the company in, like, five minutes. Because they're so, I mean, like, they have such a, like, they have their act to a T. Roe is, like, the more normal-sized guy, but he's, like, way stronger than he like i mean the guy is way stronger than you might think he, he was is just by looking at him like you look at him and he's like you know you think he looks like he's a strong guy but he's like freakishly strong and then you have hansen who's the massive guy who is way more like athletic and acrobatic and does all these flips and cartwheels and jumps and all this shit that you did not expect a guy who's that massive to do and they just play off of that dynamic so well. And every single match they're in, when they're actually given a chance, is awesome. Ro- like, they get over every time. Row 2 is just like an insane striker. Like, I, I again, I love the flip-over knee thrust to the face that he does in, like, every match. He was super fun to watch in Underground, too. Like, when he was getting that little singles time, just as a striker. And he's instantly believable. The dude looks like you file him under, do not fuck with. This is the first times I've heard anyone say, like, yeah, that thing that they did on Raw Underground was good. <laughs> I liked that. Fuck, I forgot about Raw Underground entirely. It's so funny how, like, like Raw Underground was a thing that happened every week, and then, like, three weeks after they stopped doing it, I forgot that it ever happened. A lot of people did. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I've never seen a War Machine match or War Raiders or Viking Raiders or whatever the fuck their name is now. Um... Where, like, they were given time and, like, where they didn't end up being super over. Like, per- it just has never happened. Perfect example of recent memory is when they faced 
Omos and AJ Styles for the tag titles on some random pay-per-view where they got no reaction on their entrance. Like, it was dead on their entrance. And 10 minutes into the match, the crowd's going nuts for their spots. Yes, because they, I mean, again, like, they just have their thing and they do it so well. And it's all just like, you know, they they produce so many oh shit moments because both those guys are so capable of doing things that you do not expect from them. It's it's so much fun to watch them wrestle. I I love those guys. And of course, Roddy and Kyle O'Reilly are as good as it gets. I mean, those guys are just two phenomenal workers. Like just through and through, tremendous pro wrestlers. Very good professional sports entertainers. Yes, they are very good at entertaining me in a sports-like fashion. Uh, as good as it gets. I mean, this is such... Yeah, watch this fucking match. It's so good. God damn, it's so good. It's not the, it's like the best match on the show either. Um, I would say probably... I mean, it's second or third, um, depending on how you feel about the main event, which I think is a great match, but I could see if someone wanted to put the tag team title match ahead of it. Uh, because it's, you know, the tag team title match is like, there's more moves and it really jumps out. The women's title match pulls its weight too. I mean, it's good. I I was marking for that one. It's a good match. Um, all matches are good. Next up though, we have, uh, Cassius Ono versus Matt Riddle. Uh, and they have, they show it ringside for a second, like, Hey, Pete Dunn and Tony Storm are here at the time. They were the UK title. Pete Dunn. Pete Dunn is here. They show him and Tony Storm at, at ringside for like two seconds, and that's it. They don't do anything else. Uh, would have liked to see them wrestle, but we don't get to see. Dunn just me uh, mugging the entire time. Yeah, like Tony Storm is like smiling, being a baby face, and Pete Dunn is just like, Ooh, you know. Doing the shrug. Just complete, like, just, you know, just mean mugging the camera. Like, like, like he does so well. There are a few guys in the world better at a pure mean mug. Then Pete Dunn is. He's one of the best mean muggers around. Um, but next up, we have this match between Cassius Ono and Matt Riddle. Uh, Matt Riddle, of course, one of the big, you know, rising studs of NXT, had gotten over very quickly. Um, as pretty much anybody who watched him pre-NXT could, could have told you, like, this guy's going to get over fast. Like, he's going to be really good in WWE, and he did. And he's taken on Cassius Ono. Uh, formerly known as Chris Hero, a legend of wrestling real, pretty much everywhere, um, and you know was on his second tour of NXT. Um, so they were coming off of a match that they had had where they basically they, they did something that they don't usually do in, in, in uh, pro wrestling. It's a very like MMA-style finish. They did the flash KO finish where, like, they rang the bell and then Riddle just hit him with, like, a flying knee and knocked him out and won the match and that was it, like, like that. Uh, which is, like, it's a very MMA-type finish and Matt Riddle was a pro mixed martial artist, fought in the UFC. Hero kind of has been influenced by that style a little bit when you see him wrestle. Um, so now they run it back and you have Riddle and Ono um, having an actual more longer, you know, full-length match. Uh, ono comes out wearing throwback, like, Suns-style gear. Um, and this is a very kind of stiff-style match. Um, you know, kind of a more, like, yeah, a little more of a shoot-style match. Um, 
with a, with a lot of strikes, stuff like that. A lot of really good striking in this match. Um, you know, Riddle really impresses. This is when Ono had really kind of put on a lot of weight. Um, I know I think he had a uh, thyroid problem that was a real issue for him, and he had gained a lot of weight, and it was like tough for him to get it off, but still could work as well as anybody, even even though he didn't like look great, but could wrestle better than almost anyone else, so it didn't really matter. But at this point, he's a he's a bigger guy, and you know he was already a pretty big guy, but he's you know packed on some weight. And you have Riddle just picking him up and deadlifting them and throw him around the ring. It just looks great because Riddle's such a freak of nature. Oh um, they do a. I, I thought this spot was creative where Riddle goes for a sunset, uh, like a sunset bomb to the outside. And then as he goes over, Ono hangs onto the rope and then grabs the edge of the ring skirt and like pulls it over Riddle's head and then like stomps on him. And that's how he's able to take over. And uh, get the heat. Uh, another little MMA thing that I caught. They did the Yair Rodriguez Korean zombie like kind of reverse elbow spot. Which I think it happened not that long before this. And I, I think uh, Mauro Ranallo made mention of the Korean zombie uh, on that spot. So anyone for anyone who watches UFC, that was a nice little, nice little spot there. Um, they did some stuff. This is one thing. So Riddle obviously wrestles barefoot. And this is one of the few matches that they really kind of played into the implicate, like the like the disadvantages of wrestling barefoot. He's not the only guy ever who wrestles barefoot. I know Kevin Von Erich did it, but like, for instance, you know, Riddle tries to give him a German suplex, and then Ono just stomps on his bare foot, and you know, obviously you sell that. It's like, well, why wouldn't everyone do that to him? Why wouldn't you just stomp on his foot all the time? And then later in the match, uh, Ono bites his foot and starts chewing on it and sucking on his toes. And Rex, like, Rex like, Ryan, eat your heart out. Yeah. That was a little bit much. I probably wouldn't do that, but, like, you could do it. I mean, you're leaving yourself open to that if you're going to not wear shoes. Um, ono gets a bunch of offense, uh, knees him in the head, hits a Liger bomb, uh, moonsault, big boot rolling elbow. Goes for a running splash, but then Riddle catches him and puts him in a sleeper. Ono's able to roll to the ropes. And then uh, they do this spot at the end where Ono's kind of like, yeah, man. Like, Ono's trying to, you know, be a heel and, like, give him this, like, fake fist bump or whatever. Or, like, kind of, you know, you know, chicken shit little, like, hey, man, we're cool, right? Give him a fist bump. And then Riddle says no. Knees him in the head. Hits him with a sleeper suplex. And then starts elbowing him in the head over and over. And another thing that you see rarely in MMA, but almost never in pro wrestling, uh, uh, Cassius Ono taps out two strikes. He taps out not to a submission hold, but to the elbows, and uh, Matt Riddle wins the match in 9 minutes and 20 seconds. I'm always distracted by this version of Ono, and this is the only real version I ever saw of Cassius Ono, which is like the version that put over Matt Riddle. And... Yeah, at this point, yeah, his thyroid problem has been causing him a little bit more issues. I also think his ring gear doesn't help him at all in terms of, like, look in the ring. It's yeah. just very distracting. Like, he's someone, like, we always laugh, we're, we're laughing at Punk now because he's wearing the long boys. I feel like Chris Hero, Cashizono, would have benefited from some long boys and just kind of, like, looked like this hulking mass. But either way, like, I, he sells fantastically in this match. He really gets across the point that he is a veteran desperate to win this match 
Like he pulls out all the stops like that. The uh, apron trick, biting his toes, stopping on his bare feet, like everything that he can do, he's pulling out. And ultimately, like, it just doesn't matter because Riddle is on a way higher level than him. That deadlift German is just such a feat of strength. Like, this is not the, this is not a match I'll say go out and watch actively. It's fine. It's not bad, but like, it's not anything that you would write home about. But that deadlift spot is just super impressive seeing a guy built like Riddle who's a little bit more lean, just deadlift a dude that's probably pushing 300 at this point over his head. Just yeah. insane. Uh, yeah. Good little break. And this is the only break that you get because the next two hours is just hold on to your seatbelt. Yes. And, yeah, I totally agree with you. But I think that uh, Ono should have worn the uh, the Kevin Nash getup. Ooh, yeah. You should have done that. You know, where you have the long pants and the singlet top. There that you go. Been, that would have been a good look. Um, but, you know, he. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, even though, like, he had gained weight and didn't look great, like, the guy could go like a motherfucker. I mean, I'd always been, I mean, this was a guy, he's 20 years into his career, and it's just, like, an all-around terrific pro wrestler and just gives a great performance in this match. And you have Riddle, the younger guy, to work off of him. It works. I mean, this is the shortest match on the show. Um, it's the only one not for a title, but... I think it works for me, and it works for me as well as a big fan of, you know, mixed martial arts, because you can tell a lot of what went into putting this match together was like, well, you know, Matt Riddle was a UFC fighter, and Cassius Ono obviously watches the UFC because there's so much shit in there, like, from, like, that's very MMA-inspired, and I, I do appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, great match. Next up, uh, you, you saw, you see uh, a, a young lad by the name of the Velveteen Dream show up backstage. He's not going to do anything tonight, but we will see. Like he shows up backstage with some fly honeys, and we see him later sitting at ringside. Um, I recognize the one on the right, the blonde one. She, if you remember correctly, I don't know her name, but she was like MJF's assistant. Do you remember in AEW? Oh, okay. Yeah, remember her? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And MJF was always being like kind of degrading and sexist to her all the time. Yeah. Well, well would MJF be MJF if he wasn't? No. But I did recognize her. I was like, wait, where do I know this girl from? I don't know the other one, but she also looked vaguely familiar. So I might just, might just be slipping my mind. Uh, but yeah. But so next up, hold on if you hold on to your ass because this next match is insane. Oh my gosh! This next match is, is just fucking insane, and it's wow. like one of those matches that like I remember it blowing my mind when I first watched it, but I hadn't watched it since then. And when I watched it again earlier today, I was like, "How did I not remember this match?" Like as well as as well as I feel like I should, you know what I mean? Because it's so good, it's so entertaining. It is just this match is a is a white knuckler from start to finish. Uh, it is North American Championship Ricochet and Johnny Gargano, uh, and this is the period where Johnny is starting to tease a heel turn. Uh, they're getting to that point in the rivalry with him and Champa, 
where, you know, Champa had obviously turned heel on Gargano, turned uh, Gargano into the biggest baby face on the planet freaking Earth. And then gradually, like, you know, it, it, they sold it as, like, Gargano's obsession with beating Champa uh, was starting to, you know, cause him to lose it a little bit and start to kind of turn heel a little bit. Um, and then, you know, he turns heel. You know, we find out that he was the guy that attacked Aleister Black in the parking lot. Um, and then you start to see him, like, you know, reconcile a little bit with Champa. Now that he understands Champa a little bit more, he's starting to get there. You get that sort of, like, that struggle in this match with Johnny Gargano, where it's like, is he, deci- he going to decide to be a heel or not? Because, like, you know, he's desperate to win. And he wants he wants to do whatever he can to win. But there's still, you know, there's still good in you. There's still good in you, Anakin. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, there's still good in Johnny Gargano. And he's, he's conflicted about whether he wants to really be a heel. And Ricochet is the champion. He's the babyface. And he's kind of like, you know, he's a straight-up guy. And he's he wants to know which Johnny is he is he going to be facing. Is he going to be facing the Johnny Gargano that, you know, is was the biggest baby face in the world that would never have cheated or cut corners? Or is he going to face the guy that's going to, you know, attack a guy from behind in the parking lot? It's an interesting story, and you see that struggle play out in the match. I think it's really well done. But, yeah, this, this match fucking rules from start to finish. Uh, it's very, very technical back and forth at the start of this match. Um... You know, we get Ricochet asking, um, you know, what Johnny am I going to get tonight? And that's like the story of the match. Which Johnny is going to be here? Um, Ricochet, you know, Johnny is working heel in this match. He's so good at working heel and so good at work. You know, he can work every single, you know, role that you could ask for because he is just one of the best wrestlers in the world. Um, and Ricochet... You know, for all we've talked about, the guy, you know, he's, he's a smaller guy. He's not a great promo, whatever. The guy is so amazing. In the it shouldn't world. matter that he can't cut a promo. It doesn't matter. Who fucking cares? <laughs> Let this guy wrestle. Every single thing he fucking does looks perfect and, like, easy and incredibly smooth. It's like, it's, it's like staggering how good he is. Does not make like, sense. He's doing all this crazy shit, and it's all perfect. And it all just looks like the easiest, most graceful thing in the world. Like, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, he, uh, you know, hits all these moves. He hits a 619 through the corner. He did an acai moonsault where he jumped off of the ring post, like ran up the ring post and did a flip off of it, which was fucking crazy. Um, hits a springboard European uppercut, big brain buster. Uh, Gargano uh, catches him out of midair with a Liger bomb, puts him in the cross face. He goes for the one final beat DDT, but Ricochet catches him and throws him to the outside. Then hits a bunch of flippy shit. Uh, he hits a you know big twisting Fosbury flop uh, over the top rope to the outside. Hits a standing shooting star press. The most gorgeous moonsault you've ever seen in your fucking life. That moonsault, I had to rewind oh like God. five times. Because I was like, that is the most beautiful moonsault I've ever seen. And it's like, this is a guy who's done double moonsaults before. So, like, a single moonsault to him is, it's nothing. Like, 
He moonsaults getting out of bed in the morning. You could wake him up at 3 o'clock in the morning and just be like, yo, right now, do a moonsault. And he would do the most perfect moonsault you've ever seen. Because it's the easiest thing in the world to hit. Um, They do... uh, This was one of the big spots that I remember from when I watched the first time where they do the spot where... Um, he's going for a powerbomb off the second rope. Johnny turns it into a Hurricane Rana, and then Ricochet just does a full front flip and lands on his feet. And the crowd goes crazy for him landing on his feet. Um, Johnny gets him in the Gargano escape submission hold, but uh, Ricochet just deadlifts him up and fall away slams him. Hits a huge dive over the corner, like over the ring post to the outside and, and lands on him. Uh, a springboard 450 goes for a, a shooting star press. Johnny gets the knees up, uh, hits a. Uh, this it just keeps getting crazy. Like he hits a super kick that sends Ricochet to the outside. Um, goes for a suicide dive. Ricochet catches him, and then Johnny then turns it into a poison rana on the floor. Uh, hits the one final beat DDT in the ring. Ricochet kicks out. Uh, then Johnny. You know, again, deciding whether or not he wants to be a heel, he exposes the concrete on the floor, rips up the pad, grabs Ricochet, is about to hit a DDT, is thinking about it, and then decides, no, I'm going to be a babyface. I'm not going to do it. Uh, and then he gets back in the ring. Ricochet winds up locking him in the Gargano escape. Um, and then Johnny gets out. Crowd is so, uh, cr- by the way, crowd is crazy hot for this match. They're going insane. You get the fight forever chance. Uh, then afterwards, maybe humiliated a little bit by the fact that a Ricochet put him in his own submission hold, Johnny decides to go to the dark side completely, and he hits Ricochet with a brain buster on the concrete floor. Ugh. Back in the ring, hits the one final beat DDT. Johnny Gargano gets the pin, wins the title. 23 minutes and 26 seconds. Just insane fucking match from start to finish. This is why I think bang for buck the best match that you can ever have is going to be between guys that are quote unquote junior heavyweights like Gargano and Ricochet. The level of athleticism that they possess, like unless you're getting a big hoss fight, like two dudes that are huge like Brock Lesnar and Big E, like they have their own kind of style, but the amount of flippy shit that you can do in a match, it's just mind-melting to anybody that would watch this. Whether you're a gymnast, whether you're a guy that's a fan of the circus, whether you're a fan of professional wrestling, like, it's just nuts. Gargano's a guy that I really mark out for, and if I ever were to get involved in professional wrestling, he would be a guy that I look to as a model just because he is a smaller dude, able to do a whole bunch of things in the ring despite the fact that he is a smaller man. Uh, Just and also Ricochet is just unattainable because I will never yeah. be able to do a 450 uh, splash casually. Ricochet uh, is an athlete to the level that like no reasonable person could ever like dream of being Ricochet. The 99.9% are jealous of Ricochet. Yeah, he is the 0.01% of human beings. Whereas Johnny is a smaller guy who is a great, obviously, a, you know, a, a good athlete. And he's in great shape, but he's not like an insane athlete or anything. Not to the level that like Ricochet is. He doesn't feel unattainable. That, no, he's a guy that is just, you know, he's got a lot of experience. He'd been wrestling for a very long time by this point, point. Um, and 
was just really good. Like, has just gotten really good at pro wrestling. And, and yeah. They're, and they're both just so good at what they do. Um, again, the opening where they're just doing a bunch of flippy chain wrestling, Gargano's reaction to the one final beat DDT getting blocked by Ricochet just powering out of it. Like, Gar- like that's one thing that's always great with Johnny is that he- he's got some of the best facial reactions, whether he's a heel or a face in every match that he's in. Just never fails to uh, express what the fans are feeling in the match by just staring at the camera, just jaw agape. Fantastic. Uh, again, the shooting star press into a second rope moonsault is just, you shouldn't, that's a video game thing. That's not real life. That's a video game. And then I, I, I've started writing in all caps because at this point I am just like, they have me going. Like, this is a match that happened two years ago, but they got me going. Uh, flipping out of a super Frankensteiner and then Ricochet going over the turnbuckle and then Johnny kicking out of that 450 splash. Like, I, at this point, I'm popping in my house. I, I, in my apartment, I am making loud noises. It's just so good. And then when you see Ricochet put Johnny in the Gargano escape, you kind of get the sense that, okay, Johnny's over the deep end. And then you see the super, this, uh, brain buster on the concrete, which makes you cringe. And then the thud on that, uh, one final beat DDT. Just like Ricochet's head literally just goes perpendicular with the ground. And it's just perfect storytelling, perfect action. And it's really hard to beat this match in quality. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I mean, obviously, you know, Johnny is tremendous. I mean, he puts on just a fantastic all-around performance. And again, especially working as a heel, for a guy who just a year before was the hottest pure babyface in, like, the United States, a guy that people were crazy for as a babyface. And, you know, he's now working as a heel, and he's so good at it, but... I mean, Ricochet at this at this level is like he's just a fucking freak. I mean, he's just a he's just a a cut above everybody else because he's just so like you know it's it's just like he's putting on he's doing superhuman things. And again, like it looks so smooth and graceful and easy every single thing that he does. He's doing things that. 0.01% of people on this planet can do. Like, and it's just second nature. Is there a Ricochet, uh, Ricochet Omega match? Because I've seen the Ricochet Osprey match, uh-huh. and that's just... You Have you finally watched that match? I, I did, and it was, again, fantastic. Just the amount of insane athletic... Like, Osprey is one of the few guys that can match Ricochet with that insane WTF athleticism. But, like, Ricochet Omega... Gargano Omega, like, again, there's a reason why Gargano Cole matches were always fantastic. And because both those two two dudes are just, like, I would want to watch Gargano against anybody. So, I have done a quick search, and there have been eight matches featuring both Ricochet and Kenny Omega. Most of them, uh, New Japan, uh, like, opening tag matches. Um where it's like six, eight-man tag. There is a sing. They actually teamed together one time in uh, Best of the Super Juniors 2013. Uh, Kenny Omega and Ricochet versus Taichi and Taka Michinoku. Uh, There's exactly one ever Kenny uh, Omega-Ricochet singles match, 
It was in the semifinals of PWG Battle of Los Angeles 2014. Uh, it was the year that Ricochet won. Ricochet beat Kenny in the semifinals. I don't remember it specifically. And then in the finals, final three-way, he beat Johnny Gargano and Roderick Strong to win Bola that year. So I'm gonna need I need you to go to back find... and watch that shit. Yeah, I need, I need you to go get that, that for me. Way. I'm going to need to find that shit on the dark web. The only match that I really remember from Bola 2014 being like that great was. Yeah, it was on here. ZSJ versus O'Reilly was. I remember that being oh, crazy. Ooh. Just like like as good of a technical match as you've ever seen in your freaking life. I'm excited, but like, uh, yes, yeah. this match was great. I will try and track down uh, Ricochet versus Omega on the dark web soon. Because PWG, sometimes PWG. Uh, matches can be hard to find. Uh, but, yeah, I'm sure that was great. I, I don't remember it specifically, though. Um, but, yeah, this match is fucking awesome. <laughs> and if you've never seen it, go watch, literally drop everything that you're doing. If you're if you're driving right now, if you're listening to this while you're driving, pull the fuck <laughs> over and pull it. I don't care where you're going. I don't care if you're driving to work. Be 23 minutes and 36 seconds late to work. Because you pulled over on the side of the road and uh, went on the Peacock app and watched this match immediately after I told you to. So do that right now. So, yeah, this match is... If your boss is a man, uh, man or woman of culture, they will understand. They and, and, if they, and if they don't understand, well then, you know what? You shouldn't be working there. You guys ever heard of the Great Resignation? We're taking back control of the labor market, ladies and gentlemen. We are, uh, you can just leave and find a new job. You know what? And it's your right to do so. So, next up, women's title. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, this is really the only match that has developmental people in it, in the developmental brand. It is the champion, Shayna Baszler, taking on a very talented young rookie by the name of Bianca Belair. Uh, and, you know, Bianca had... Bianca was, like, only about a year or so uh, like, had only been, like, regularly on NXT TV for maybe about a year. Uh, still relatively inexperienced at this time, but is obviously a great talent and a great athlete and just an incredible physical specimen. And you can tell that she's going places, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and, you know, the, the story of this match is Shayna has been killing everybody uh, for a long time and beating everybody. Uh... In, in one of Bianca's first big matches ever, can she uh, prove herself to be up to the challenge of facing a woman like Shayna Baszler? So, uh, Bianca does a lot of really good athletic shit early in the match, but then uh, Shayna uses Bianca's big, you know, super long braid, grabs onto it, and, like, pulls Bianca into the uh, ring post. She slams into it. Um, she comes out of it selling the left arm, and a lot of this match is Shayna working over that left arm and beating her up. Uh, you know, we have, yeah, the, uh, Shayna gets the heat for a long time, and then, you know, we have Shayna, you know, calling her overrated. That uh, riles Bianca up. Bianca slaps her in the face, and it gets some offense in, hits her with a spear, stomps her down. She goes for a uh, splash, but then Shayna gets the knees up, and she retakes the advantage. This is the one part I, I do. I did remember Bianca whipping her with the braid, the loud and then crack, the big, the big like cut on Shayna's side, the scar or whatever that comes up. Like, ooh, that fucking hurt. Um, 
we then end up uh, afterwards uh, uh, getting a ref bump. They do like this tug of war over the braid, and the Bianca ends up pulling her in, gets her up, hits her with the KOD. But there's no ref to count. So then we get a run in from Shayna's goons, Marina Schaefer and Jessamine Duke. They both run in. They both get sent packing very easily by Bianca. Uh, Shayna locks in the Kirafuda clutch. Uh, Bianca is able to get up and break the hold, turns it into a big suplex. It's just incredibly strong, super impressive. Uh, goes for a 450 splash, misses. Shane is able to get her back into the clutch. Bianca's fighting out of it for a long time. Uh, you know, stands up. They make another kind of an MMA thing that I, I, I thought was kind of neat. The you know, little thing that I appreciated. Shayna, who is a, also a former uh, UFC fighter herself, uh, they did the thing where she's going for the choke for a long time and she can't finish it and her arm's getting tired, so she switches to the other arm. I That was like a little detail that I really liked there. Um, and Bianca fights the hold for a long time, but eventually she goes out and Shayna Baszler retains the belt in 15 minutes and 26 seconds. This was a, a again, another great match. And just again, what takeovers are known for is just great match after great match after great match. And, and it's great to see like these two women's wrestlers, cause this is a really good women's match and this is a really good match in general. Uh, Shayna is one of my favorites nowadays too just because of her style it's so unique in terms of just not being a brawler but how brutal she is with her submissions like the arm stomp that she does where she torques the arm and then just stomps on it always makes me cringe and like I I know it's work but it's always really impressive to see every time and they make Bianca look like a million bucks here like Shayna does dominate a lot of this match. Bianca comes back with like her raw athleticism, just absolute specimen. And but you do see the green when she hits KOD and starts losing her mind a little bit, as opposed to like going to the ref and shaking the ref up to get the count. Yeah, you get the run in and the interference, but she still stands tall after that. But the first Kirafuda clutch that she escapes from, where she's in that clutch for such a long time and then just powers up, powers out. And gets out of it and turns it into a suplex. Genuinely impressive. So insane. One of the most insane things. It's up there with anything Ricochet does. Because the amount of body control, the amount of strength you have to have to pull something like that off. It, both, both from her and Baszler. And then, of course, the finish where she teases getting out again. She's in it for a super long time and then ultimately, you know, falls victim to it. Just a great match that makes both of them look insanely strong. And it was, it, I really did enjoy this match. It's definitely not like the Gargano match. I would put it up there with Champa Black, though. I mean, Champa Black was good, but I also think this match was right up there with those two. Yeah, this is a really, really good match. Um, and it does a tremendous job. Again, I mean, you know, it's it's too early for Bianca to win. Uh, but it's a great way to put her over and make her look really strong. And you know, make her just look really impressive and show you, like, this girl is really going somewhere without having her actually win the match. Um, you know, having having it take Shayna so long, having her in the Kirafuda clutch before she can actually finally put Bianca away and having her keep fighting and, you know, powering out of the hole. You know, it really, 
you know, it's it's a great way of emphasizing that Bianca is a really special physical specimen and is a great athlete and is really strong. And this that's what this match is really about, is showcasing Bianca. Question for you, David. Would you rather be whipped by the hair or eat a steel chair shot? I would rather get uh, hit with the chair. Uh, right answer. Very much right answer. That, I mean, like, really, you know, I mean... When, like, her, that, that shit, like, I remember that really clearly, seeing that the first time. And it was just like, oh, God, no. Like, just horrible pain. Because, I mean, the, the like, the welt or whatever shows up immediately. So this big lash across her, her side is like, oh, my God, I can't imagine willingly agreeing to do that. Oh, man, yeah. Right? That, it was just brutal at the time. It's brutal every time it comes out. And... It, it, it does help, like, it's a great gimmick, though, too. Like, it really just makes Bianca stand out. Yeah. My one qualm with the match, though, is I didn't think it needed the interference. It didn't. You're I, right. I, you know, I, I think that looks... That was, the, that was the weird part about, like, this, this later part of the Shayna run, when they ended up getting Schaefer and Duke in with her, um, who were her, you know, buddies. They were all buddies with, like, Ronda Rousey, and they were all MMA fighters and whatever. Um, but they like, you know, she, like she, they ended up getting to the point where every single match, it seemed like they are interfering and helping Shayna win. And it just didn't feel like she needed it, you know, cause like her whole like kind of character is like, she's this badass MMA chick who is running through everybody. But then at the same time, it's being undermined by the fact that, she has her friends helping her win every time. It's also one of the things that kind of like I'll compare it to Omega's run now. It feels like there are a lot of matches that Omega's in, or even the Young Bucks too, where they're in a title match and they need the interference to retain. And it's just like, well, the whole thing is that you're supposed to be the best in the world and you need interference to help you to say you're still the best in the world. I, it, it never always hits right. It's always it's sometimes missing those notes. See, it doesn't bother me quite as much with them because like their whole thing is they're like, they're just this fucking obnoxious group of assholes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's like similar to Undisputed Era. Those guys would run in and help each other win all the time. And it's like, you know... You're supposed to. You're supposed to be like, oh my god, fuck these guys, you know. I, I want them to lose, you know. Like, they're not. They're not necessarily being sold as like unstoppable monsters, like Shayna kind of was. Yeah. Said, okay. The beginning part of her run, she was really kind of sold as this like, she's a killer, and she is, you know, putting everybody, everyone that she wrestles, she chokes them unconscious, she beats their ass because she's so much tougher and badder than everybody else. And I, it's the elite aren't really sold as the same way, you know what I mean? They kind yes. of become these, like, these goofballs. And Kenny is sort of like, I wouldn't call him a chicken shit heel champion, but she, he has some sort of, like, that chicken shit heel tendencies a little bit, and she, mannerisms a little bit. He doesn't believe he has to give his best to anyone because there's no one that deserves his best. Yeah. So... Like, I, I get what you mean. I can't say that bothers me quite as much as it does with Shayna. Because it just, there's like this in, like incongruity in between, like, the way she's being presented 
and the way the matches actually go. Yeah. She shouldn't need Marina Schaefer and Jessamine Duke to help her out. Correct. But they would run in and, and it wasn't it wasn't even like the you know it wasn't like that originally, but it was like her I think it was her second run as champion. That's when it really started, I feel like. And it just kind of didn't really hit with me to be honest. But this is a good match. Good match, solid stuff. And you can tell, right, you know, from this point, even you know, pretty early in her run, that Bianca's going to be a star. And she's a star. So they hit on that one. Shannon deserves better. Main event time. It is the NXT Championship. It is on the line. And it is the champion, Tommaso Ciampa, defending his belt against Aleister Black. And, God, remember this Aleister entrance? I mean, like, Oh, you know, my God. Aleister Black is a guy that, you know, I think his entrance in AEW is great. Uh, but I loved Aleister Black in NXT. With just the whole presentation, it was like they just had... The, the one thing that, like, NXT, like, Triple H NXT had a great handle on was making somebody look like a star with their entrance. They, you know, you saw that. I didn't even mention like the Ricochet entrance from earlier. Oh yeah, they had a great handle on, and especially back when they had the the old guys doing the you know the theme songs. Like they had all these great themes. Um, now they're all so generic. I can't even tell you know one from the other. Yeah, but back around this time, they had a lot of great theme songs and, um. Like, they had a tremendous handle on how to make a guy look like a star just from his entrance alone. And Aleister Black was one of the perfect examples of that. So freaking cool. He's defending the title. Or he is challenging Tommaso Ciampa for the belt. Um, This match doesn't start out as hot as some of the other matches, and it takes a while for the crowd to really get super into it, but eventually they do. And this is really a... It's a working the leg match. And I have no issue with that. You know, I think it's a very valid you know way to structure a match, but I think it has to be done right, and it has to actually matter. And this is one of those matches where I think it's done right and it matters. So I think it's great. Um, Champa is working over the leg of Aleister Black. He targets it early and keeps at it. Slams it into the stairs. Works it over with submissions. Picks him up. Slams him knee first in the announce table. Um, and every time, you know, Black is trying to hit suplexes and he's selling it. He can't, you know generate enough force to be able to get him up into the air on these suplexes um, selling you know he, he really sells like he is a even when he's on offense and things are going well for him he's like selling like he's a gimpy fighter the whole time he does really well uh, you know you never feel like Alistair's really at 100% um, even when he's doing all of his kicks all of his kicks look great but um, you know it's 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 really good um, I really liked the spot, you know, Champa's been working on the leg for a while, puts it in a single leg crab, Black reverses it and puts him in one. And then right after this, I loved the spot where, uh, you know, this was a little, you know, kind of callback, but 
Champa hits that uh, kind of like you know rope hung like elevated cutter on the apron. Oh, that was just brutal. Well, I, I liked that a lot because, and Morrow actually calls it. That used to be one of Nigel McGuinness's old moves, the Tower of London. And actually, Morrow calls it the Tower of London. Nigel's on commentary. You know, Champa hits one of his moves, or Alistair hits one of his moves. Uh, or no, Champa. Champa hits one of his moves on Alistair, uh, you know, on the apron. And I, I thought that was cool. I, I couldn't catch, or I missed if, uh, if, uh, Nigel reacted to it, but Morrow did call it Tower of London. Which I thought was a, a neat little neat little moment there. Um, a bunch of great striking exchanges back and forth. Uh, Black with his great kicks, Champa with a bunch of great knees, hits a double uh, you know double stomp, all that stuff. Uh, finally, Black gets him up and hits the brain buster. Hits the second rope moonsault to the outside. Champa hits the fairy tale ending, his finishing move, but Black kicks out. And then he goes to the outside, and just like Johnny Gargano did earlier in the night, he exposes the concrete on the floor. And unlike Johnny, he has no hesitation about trying to use it. Um, goes tries to go for it, but then Black hits him with a jumping double knee on the outside. Champa lands on the concrete. He back in the ring hits him with his finishing move, the Black Mass, but he takes too long to get over to the pin. And by the time he can get over to Champa. Champa had rolled over, so he can't just grab, get onto him and pin him. Um, he goes for a second black mask, but Champa pulls the ref into the way. And Black actually, they don't do a ref bump. Black actually stops the kick before he can hit the ref, so we don't actually get a ref bump. Um, and then Champa, you know, capitalizes on that. He hits Willow's Bell. He hits another fairy tale ending, a big kick out. He hits a third fairy tale ending. Uh, picks him up, goes for a fourth. Black kicks him in the head, and then goes for the black mass again. But his leg that had been worked on the whole match gives out as he tries to do the spin for the black mass. And Champa grabs him, hits him with the fourth fairy tale ending, and he gets the pin and retains the title. Twenty six minutes and thirty seconds. A very well put together and very well worked match. Afterwards. The end of the show, Champa goes up the ramp. Who comes out from uh, backstage to greet him? But the new North American champion, his former tag team partner and rival, Johnny Gargano. They look at each other, and they hold their belts up in the air. And right as the camera cuts out, you can see Johnny sneak a little sly look. He starts looking at that NXT title like, huh, I want that bitch right there. Give it to me. <laughs> Yeah, That's the end of the show. Great, great. And again, another match that told a great story with uh, Champa working over the knee. Black does a great job selling it the entire match. Not to the point where his offense is detrimental. It still looks crisp, but like you know that he's hurting the entire time. It, it, his entrance you mentioned is just it gets so good, and so is Champa's. Like Champa's is a very simple entrance, but him coming out clutching the title with that music is just iconic. The first real pop I got for this match is like Champa's on the top rope and then Black just guns it at him, climbs the ropes, no hands, and then kicks him in the chest and they both go over the top rope. Insane looking spot. Uh, the hanging cutter, the Tower of London, just a brutal looking move. The Meteora onto concrete. Uh, I, 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 you could tell that Black doesn't go all the way through with the Meteora, but even still, that is a move 
that just makes me cringe because that could go so poorly. And then that black mass hits, and it's just like, oh shit, that match is over. And as a, I love that as a finisher because it is a quick, effective move that has great impact. And you're just like, oh, that's it. And I do love the added wrinkle where he takes too long to cover. So it's not so much that Champa's kicking out. Champa just has enough energy to roll over onto his stomach. So it still is not like a kick out in any way. And, you know, the fairy, I thought they could have ended the match after the third, after the second fairy tale ending. I didn't think they needed to go into another like little short rally for Black just so we could sell the knee on a second Black Mass. Because I thought they already did a good job selling the leg injury anyway. I think it just was like, it detracts from the finish. I think that if it had ended after the second fairy tale ending following the uh, Willow's Bell, it would have just made a good punctuation. I think that it went on just that extra little bit too much. But that's a small nitpick for this match. It's still fantastic. Yeah. This is just... You know, it, it, it's not a super fast-paced spot fest or anything like, you know, uh, like the Ricochet matches. It doesn't have that type of pace, but that's not really who these two guys are. And it doesn't need to be that way. And it's, it's a well-worked match that's well laid out and tells a coherent story and is executed extremely well. It, you know, it's, it's 26 minutes long. It's paced very well. It seems like they make good use of every single one of those 26 minutes. And, you know, there's, it's just a damn good main event, main event title match. I mean, it's just damn good. I mean, I wouldn't call it the best match on the show, but it's just, you know, as a main event title match, it's, it's really freaking good. It just, it just, it is exactly what it needs to be. And it's exactly what, you know, I, I have to, I have to imagine that those two guys went into the back after that match and just were like, that's exactly what we wanted it to be. You know, they, they pulled off what they wanted to do. Was very very good, and much like every match, like every match on this card told an efficient story in the ring. Like there is a very clear story to follow from bell to bell, and that was something that we talked about a little bit earlier. That we NXT after this point did a poor job of, and the one thing that really stands out to me is when they had Charlotte Flair go over Rhea Ripley because there is no real point to that other than to get Charlotte the belt on NXT. Yeah, and, but yeah. everything here. They did such a great – like, I love the fact, especially in this feud with Black and Champa, that they incorporated a, a story out of the injury and how Black had a missed time. And they made that important. They made that part a crucial part to the story. It wasn't just a throwaway, oh, I'm going to be on the shelf for, for some time. They created a situation where, okay, yeah, he got beat up in the back and now he's hurt. I, and they made a good story from it. Yeah, the who, the who attacked Aleister Black – a storyline was like fantastic. Like they took a gen, like legitimate, like Alistair gets it like a legit injury at like a pretty not great time. Um, like, and turned this into like a, a storyline that like stretched out for, you know, at least a couple months and like, was woven into a lot of different other things that were going on with other people on the show, like kept, you know, Alistair, even though he wasn't there, like wrestling every week, still kept him fresh in people's minds, like, 
you know, and, and wanting something and waiting for something when he came back and was like a genuine like mystery. And again, like got a lot of different people involved. Like that was like, I mean, like people forget Nikki Cross was like a big part of that storyline. She was like the person who knew what happened and like sold it great. Like it was really fucking great booking and great storytelling. And yeah, I mean, it was after this, I mean, especially once AEW started, and now we're going head-to-head, that it, things fundamentally changed, because obviously the priority now is we need to beat AEW. We want to beat them in the ratings. And they wanted to do that by basically hotshot booking everything, and just, you know, and, and doing that, and kind of you know, leaving aside the more measured, patient storytelling that we had really enjoyed in NXT, because it was the one brand in WWE that you really got that. Got, like, actual storytelling and, like, feuds and stories that made sense and, like, had progression and, like, had conclusions that satisfied you, you know what I mean? And um, that was that was lost, after after AEW started, like they just decided, you know, what we need to do is change everything about what people liked about NXT uh, to compete. And, there's and no- guess what? They still lost. <laughs> Here's the thing, too. There's nothing wrong with hot shot booking, but the problem is when you have no justification for it. It's just like, oh, we're gonna just spontaneously have these matches. Like, at least there was a reason to open Raw with the New Day versus the Bloodline. Like, and that's a huge, huge, like, think of the six guys in that match. That is a huge, like, dream, main event-worthy match. Uh, That's a pay-per-view match. But you have to have a reason for it. Because if you just have New Day versus Bloodline, because it's like, oh, these these are the two best guys, we're going to just put them there. Then no one really cares. And that's kind of what NXT kind of devolved into. The feuds are only about the belts. There is no additional storylines or underlying stories about it. And it's why they didn't beat AEW. Because AEW, in the early on, did not have the star power that NXT did. They did not have any star power. But what they were good at is just being themselves and telling the story. And when you're just yeah. yourself, when you're, you're when you have an identity and you follow that identity and you create the problems within the identity... You'll be fine. WWE got greedy and tried to do everything at once. And it it's actually a good thing now that they're kind of falling back onto what makes them WWE. And I think that's ultimately great for everyone as wrestling fans because now you're going to get the good WWE type of matches. And we still have AEW to enjoy on Wednesday nights that has just super insane storylines and fantastic work in the ring. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it, it really, I, I think you summed it up very, very, very well there. Um, I, you know, personally, I, I'm someone that I, I look back at this era of NXT extremely fondly. But eventually, and again, mostly through competition with AEW, uh, you know, the feeling, the need to compete with AEW. Nobody forced NXT to go live on Wednesdays. You know what I mean? No one forced them to do that. You know, they decided they wanted to do it because they wanted to counter program AEW and want to try and run them out of business. And guess what? It didn't fucking work. But 
at a certain point in time, they, you know, got away from what NXT was, you know, originally, and what it was supposed to be. And we're starting at this point to see it happen. AEW has just been announced. It's starting to come to fruition. You know, they're starting to unveil what they're going to be. And you can tell that it's on their radar. But, I mean, we have to remember, yeah, as you said, AEW's roster, when you go back at the AEW roster when they started Dynamite, let's not forget that the big debut, the big surprise debut on the first Jake Dynamite. freaking Hager. Was Jake Hager. I mean, like, come on. And, I mean, they... They you they have used Jake Hager the way that you use Jake Hager, but it's still Jake Hager. You know what I mean? It's we we are a very 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 far cry from the CM Punks and the Brian Danielsons and the Adam Coles and those guys showing up in AEW. But you know, out outside of Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and really Cody, those are the and and, and Jericho of course. And then you have Moxley show up at, you know, the pay-per-view. But outside of those guys, there was not a ton of established star power. There were a lot of guys who were talented, but they needed to build up. A lot of Eddie Darlings. Took, they took their time building those guys. The MJFs, the Jungle Boys, the Sammy Guevara's, the Hangman Pages into stars. And it worked. And... NXT, they couldn't operate with that same sense of patience. And now we're living in a completely different world. And I, for one, as you said, I mean, I know you agree with me. You talked about it. I am enjoying NXT 2.0. I find it to be much more true to what NXT was originally. And you know, now we have AEW on Wednesdays. It's been great. I was at the show in Philly, and it was amazing. And... We have NXT, and it's a completely different product on Tuesdays. And I'm enjoying it better. I'm enjoying NXT now more than I was enjoying NXT before. You know, just 100%. a few months ago. I'm enjoying it now more than I was. I wish Raw... It's, it's a little bit rougher. I mean, technically, in a lot of places, it is a worse product, but I'm enjoying it more. I wish in a lot of ways they would like try some of the things that they're doing on 2.0 on Raw or SmackDown. Just experiment with things. Just see what sticks. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I know the guys you have on there are supposed to be established, and you're not gonna like put an experimental act on there. But be not. Don't be afraid to take a risk on something that might end up looking stupid because well, it's bet. SmackDown yeah. is booked as well as, as any WWE show. I, I think you can leave SmackDown or all alone. Yeah. But Raw is a three-hour show. Raw is as long as many pay-per-views that WWE has. You should be trying different things on there. You should be yeah. that should be the space that you're willing to experiment because if you strike gold there, then boom, you just throw that on repeat, and that's yeah. and you milk it for all it's worth. And that's SmackDown. You... SmackDown is generally like a solid TV show, you know, and and based like honestly like almost entirely off of strength of Roman Reigns, <laughs> like he's the guy that makes it a good show, but it's generally like relatively like you know tightly put together and like the stuff that's happening like it kind of moves and it makes you know better sense and it feels like you know there's a plan uh and it helps that it's two hours instead of three raw feels like it's the same show every month yeah raw is and ha as it has been 
for years is the biggest fucking slog in the world every week, you know? And I don't know. I was like, I was like talking about it with uh, Molly, my fiance. We were on our way back to AEW. She used to watch Raw with me sometimes, and she was like talking about like, yeah, like it was definitely better a few years ago. And it's like, yeah, it definitely was. Even like 2017, 2018, it was way better than it is now, honestly. Because right. the, the repeated match was always like I remember because we were laughing at it back then they would repeat the matches week after week, like but the, but the repeated match was always like Dolph Ziggler versus Seth Rollins and those two guys you give them thirty minutes they're gonna tear the house down. But I I don't think there's anybody any combination of matches that I want to see like six times a month. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah, Sheamus and Damian Priest have had some really really good matches i have enjoyed watching those two guys work together but when they wrestle every fucking week it's a little much like let it breathe let it breathe and that was one of the things with nxt i mean you would see them kind of book a lot of the same matches over and over again and really just like get the same guys over and over again and it just kind of tired you out it's like i i want to just like let's just vibe a little bit you know what i mean let's just have some vibes now they, they, we lost all of our vibes. Now, with Tony D'Angelo, we are regaining our vibes. Tony D'Angelo, Braun Bake, Breaker, Joe Gacy, yes. and La- are, I lash. I'm Ica forgetting Man, your last Ica name. Ikemen my guy, my fucking guy, Ikemen Jiro. Um, yeah, we, we, I, I, you know, maybe I'm a, a dork for doing this, but I'm only going to refer to him as Rex Steiner as a form of protest. I'm not going to use uh, the name Braun Breaker. He's only Rex Steiner today because it, it, the name hurts me so much more because I love him so much. He's like literally the best parts of both Rick and Scott combined into one man. And it's like he is, he is perfect. I love him so much. I want to just watch him for the rest of my life. But they gave him this fucking stupid name and it just, it, the the name hurts me that much more because I love him so much. But yeah, we're we're getting our vibes back in NXT finally. And you know what? I missed it. I missed I missed just some some good times and some vibes and just watching some dudes doing some stuff. And maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. And maybe Tony D'Angelo is actually not going to get over because it's a ridiculous gimmick. But and maybe like this Joe Gacy thing is a fucking ridiculous gimmick. But you know what? We're vibing. We're trying it out. We're going to have a good time. We're going to see where it goes. So, yeah. Fun times. Uh, Enjoy this era of NXT, but optimistic for the next era of NXT, I have to say. So, I should about finish things up for this. So, uh, let's hit our two and a half marks, which I actually did not do today. So, I'm going to do this shit off top. Do it live. Angelo. You go first so I can think about this for a second. Alrighty, so uh, my negative half mark, and yes, I have a negative mark for here, but it's going to be overdone finisher false finishes because they did a lot on this show. I don't, They're always cool. They're always going to pop you. No, It's always great cheap pop. But when you keep doing it and you go back to watch a show that did it, you're like, they're doing this trope a lot. And I counted. They were seven times that somebody kicked out or beat a finish and it's just like man it's still cool watching it it gets a great pop but it's just like it's overdone we we, we should dial it back a little bit like if you're gonna do uh, a fake finish in the gargano ricochet match 
maybe let's not do one in the Baszler match. And, you know, they, they, they did it a lot, and it's what kind of, like, made NXT NXT because you saw a lot of these finishers. And, you know, Melter loves it because no match here got lower than three stars, but it's just it, – it, it tires you out a little bit. You, you want to really appreciate that finisher kick out, and you have to spread them out. You can't just do them all. Uh, my one mark is going to Mauro Ronaldo because the guy is just so good at what he does. He just paints a picture every time. He has great wordplay. His descriptions are second to none. He has got, got this expansive knowledge of every move, of what to call it, of when it's calling back to. He's just impressive. And he's got an iconic voice. Like even today with the stuff he's, stuff he's doing with like mixed martial arts, the dude is so iconic as a caller, play caller. And any program that has him becomes instantly more recognizable and legitimate by him being there. So one mark for Mario Ronaldo. And finally, my two marks, it's going to Champa and Goldie, the best love story in NXT. He's just such a relatable heel. Uh, Champa is a guy who wants to be the best and will do everything to be the best and go to lengths to stay the best and is paranoid about people taking what's his. The dude is just a relatable heel character that's not chicken shit. He's just a guy who is desperate to cling to the top, which is something that every one of us can relate to because we never want to be second best at anything. We always want to succeed in what we do. And Champa at this time was at the top level of his game and quote unquote the best wrestler in the business. So two marks to Champa and Goldie. Yes. One of the greatest love stories of all time, Champa and Goldie. Like, very iconic to me is the way he would clutch Goldie to his chest as he walks out. Like, he's terrified that someone's going to come out from around the corner and steal Goldie from him. Love it. One of the greatest love stories of our time. So, I'm going to give my uh, half uh, negative half mark to, like, the, the specific thing they did with Velveteen Dream on this show. Ooh. Where it's like... Show having a guy show up in like a limousine and they're like making a big to do about him like being there just to then show him at ringside and then he doesn't do anything. And that's like a very WWE like they're the only people who do this. Like he's got to get involved somehow. He's got to like make a run in or like at least talk some shit and like have a confrontation with somebody. And the worst part about it is apparently, according to the uh, the Wrestling Observer, after the show, Velveteen had, like, a confrontation with Champa that, like, the live fans saw, but they didn't show on the show. So it's like, yeah, that rewards the live fans, but I'm watching this because I'm not there. So, like, what is the point of that? I don't understand, like, what I'm supposed to do with this. Like, okay, Velveteen Dream is at the NXT show. Well, he works for NXT, so why wouldn't he be at the NXT show? Fuck off. Why, why, like, come on. Give me something here. You're going to do this whole thing? He's got to get involved somehow. Don't like it. Did not like it. I'm going to give my one mark to well-executed working the leg matches. Because as I kind of hinted at before, or, you know, working the leg or working a body part, whatever, a lot of times it's the leg, but we also have uh, Bianca and Shayna. She works the arm a lot. That's one that I don't like as much. The Champa Alistair Black one is one that I think is, that's the way you do it. It's very well executed because a lot of times when you see someone start to work over a body part, 
that's a lot of you, you hear that you see the audience kind of tune out a little bit. You know what I mean? That, that is usually a, a more deliberate style of like that section of the match where the heel is getting the heat. It's a little more deliberate. And a lot of times, you know, you risk the fans tuning out. But when you have it lead somewhere to the end, that, you know, rewards the fans for actually, you know, staying involved and kind of teaches them to, to care about this. You know, how is this going to figure into the match? And we see it happen at the end of the match, you know, where like Black sells it throughout. You see it affect the way he's wrestling. He's not able to hit certain moves. He has to adjust to the fact that he's, you know, working on a, a bum leg. And then it directly plays into the finish. He goes for his move, which is a spinning kick, and he can't do it because his leg is fucked up. That leads to Champa getting the win. It is, you know, well considered and it makes sense in the story of the match. I feel like too many times people work over a body part because, you know, we have this section of the match where the heel is going to get the heat, and they don't really have many ideas for how to do it. So they're just like, okay, well, I'll work over a body part. And then when you get to the end and the babyface makes their comeback, they're not selling it. And they just kind of, it doesn't factor into anything. It's just like, well, you, you know, in, in the, in the, uh, in the Shayna versus Bianca match, you know, Shayna spends all that time working over Bianca's arm. But does that ever have any effect at the end of the match, really? Does it have any effect on her comeback or how the rest of the match goes? Does she sell it at all towards the end of the match? Not really. It You're just right. kind of happened, and then they just ignore it afterward. When it's done right, that's a, a really good style of match. You know, we, we, there was one we had on the Dominion, uh, Dominion New Japan a few uh, weeks ago. The Young Bucks Evil and Sonata match. That was a working the leg match that made a lot of sense and actually, you know, factored in, and the you know the Bucks weren't able to do certain things because. Um, Matt's leg was about to fall off. Another example of a really good, well-worked one. That, you know, it's just, you don't see enough of those. Like, if you're going to do the working, the uh, body part uh, story, it's got to go somewhere. And in the Champa Black match, you have an example of one that goes somewhere, and it's really good. And then I'm going to give my two marks to just letting Ricochet be Ricochet, my man. I mean, it, it's it's the simple as that. If you would ask me after this to, you know, pick one thing that you're going to remember from NXT Takeover Phoenix, it is how goddamn good Ricochet is. <laughs> how like just how above other mortal human beings Ricochet is, and I that that's really all. I mean, that's that's the thing that you will remember is. He is just untethered from earthly concerns. He is absurd. And, you know, we haven't seen enough of that ricochet on the main roster of WWE, and it's a shame. But this is a reminder of what he is, how spectacular of an athlete, how spectacular of a pro wrestler he is in the ring. And maybe one day, if things change, the guy that we're going to be getting again because I feel like if Ricochet, you know, leaves one day, I don't know if his contract is up anytime soon, but if he leaves and goes to AEW or goes to New Japan or Impact or wherever, people are going to probably, you're going to get those same idiots on Twitter that say, like, oh, well, look at them signing some guy that, you know, 
was a jobber in WWE. It didn't do anything. Why are we supposed to care about this? And it's like, this is why. Remember how spectacular this man is when he is allowed to just be Ricochet. There is almost no other performer in the world that is like him. So just remember how good he is for when you're watching him on some other show in a year or two and he's exploding your brain into a billion pieces. This is why you're supposed this is why you should care about Ricochet. So that will wrap up our coverage. NXT TakeOver Phoenix. So that means, as always, I'm going to spin the wheel. Find out what we're going to be watching next week on the pod, hopefully with all three of us in tow next week. Fingers so crossed. As I pull this up. What do you want to see, Angelo? Jake I, doesn't get a say. You get a say. I want to see a Royal Rumble. I feel like we're getting dog shit, though. Uh, da, 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 da. Is this dog shit? Uh, probably not. Oh, I actually remember one of these matches really well. We are watching WWE TLC 2014 next week. Uh, we have in the main event TLC match between Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose. Ooh, I'm here uh, for it. Yeah, interesting. Uh, t- uh, interesting. Uh, World, uh, t- uh, 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 pay-per-view without a world title match. The main event is a Bray Wyatt-Dean Ambrose TLC match, a, a singles match without a title on the line, but this was during, if I remember correctly, during that big uh, Shield versus Wyatt's feud, if I remember correctly. 2014, maybe I have my time frame. This this, ha- this has a world title match. It's got Cena versus Rollins. Cena versus Rollins. Oh, it's a number one contender match. Or Cena's number one contender status for that. Okay. Actually, no, I think this was after the Wyatt family. Because, yeah, you know what? Because this is when you have Brody Lee as the Intercontinental Champion, and he was, like, not part of, the, you know, the Wyatt family kind of split up for a little bit. Uh, but you have Wyatt and Ambrose. I remember the Luke Harper-Dolph Ziggler uh, ladder match. I remember that being very, very good. Um and we got a lot of guys on the show. We got an AJ Lee match. I feel like we have we had any AJ Lee matches. I think we've had one. We've had like barely any of AJ Lee. I'll tell you what, man. I'm excited for the Big Show Eric Rowan Steel Stairs match. And I'm also excited for the Ryback Kane Chairs match. Yeah, the Steel Stairs match. What a stupid ass <laughs> idea. Steel Stairs match. What the fuck is that? Oh man. Uh a Damian Mizdow. Have we had any Damian Mizdow, Damian Sandow matches? No, I think I don't think we've had. I don't think we have uh, Damian at all. You know, Damian Mizdow, Damian Sandow, Aaron Stevens. You know, all his different names. Bring back the intellectual savior of the masses gimmick. That's a great oh. gimmick. I have always been a Sandow guy. People forget. Actually, maybe people don't forget how freaking over he was for a little while. Uh, but yeah. Next week, I, this this will probably be pretty fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to going back here this time period. WWE TLC 2014 next week on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. So, for my friends Angelo Anglisa and Jake Long, the absent Jake Long, my name is David Sappen. Thanks, everybody, for listening.